The Aboriginal peoples of the Kulin Nations are the traditional custodians of the lands now named City of Greater Dandenong. We acknowledge, recognise and respect Elders past, present and emerging and their continuing connections to climate, culture and country. events and conversations from the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. In this month's episode, Mina and I book chat about Such a Fun Age, a page-turning satire by Kylie Reid. Lee interviews staff member Gemma about her role as library technician acquisitions and how items are purchased at the library. We review YA novel They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera and the fantasy novel The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune as part of the Unwrapped Festival. And Lalitha explains our bookmatch service and gives a suggested reading list for someone who likes thriller, biography, horror, and historical fiction. I think we're going to start with Kylie Reid's Such a Fun Age. Robin, do you want to give us a bit of a synopsis? So this, is, this book was published um, by Bloomsbury in 2019. And it was long listed for the Booker Prize this year. So it's a page-turning satire of white privilege in present-day America. So the story is set in 215 and it follows two main characters. Alex Chamberlain is a well-off white woman who works as a sort of influencer, blogger, and she's writing a book. She's recently moved from New York to Philadelphia with her husband, who's a morning TV host, and her two young children. Amira is the other main character. She's a young African-American woman in her mid-20s and she's been employed as Alex's babysitter. Um, She works as a typist and she babysits part-time looking after Alex's three-year-old daughter, Briar. And Briar is a gorgeous character. She's a really chatty and inquisitive uh, young toddler and we get the feeling that she kind of overwhelms her mother a bit, Um, but she's absolutely adored by Amira. So late late one night, Amira gets a call from Alex um, asking her to come over to look after Briar as there's been an incident at their house and she doesn't want Briar there when the police arrive. So Amira was at a party, she'd had a couple of drinks, um, but Alex is, is offering to pay her really well and she could really do with the money, so she decides to help out. So she and her friend Zara take Briar down to this local kind of upmarket grocery store to get her out of the house. So they're just browsing around the aisles um, and in the store, Amira is looked at suspiciously by some of the other shoppers and then she's accosted by the security guard who suspects that she might have kidnapped Briar. So the whole incident is filmed by another man uh, called Kelly who's been shopping there. Um, Amira has the confrontation. She calls Briar's dad to come down and kind of sort things out. She's really embarrassed and doesn't want any trouble or redress, but the video of the incident um, still exists and the guy who filmed it, Kelly, turns out to be a significant person in both the lives of Amira and Alex. And that really, that incident really sets up um, the story. 
of how these two women um, sort of deal with reality and um, how they how they react to different situations and each other. Yeah, after that, Alex sort of becomes quite obsessed with Amira and because of her guilt, I guess, of sending her down there in the middle of the night of what happened with the security guard and um, and all of those things, she becomes obsessed with appearing to Amira as though she's very progressive, um, that mm. she's woke, that she understands where Amira's coming from and she tries to befriend her and sort of ingratiate herself into Amira's life. Before this incident, she wasn't, they weren't really, they weren't friends. They were very much employer, employee. And now she's trying to completely change that relationship, um, essentially to make herself feel better. Mm. Yeah, she kind of makes Amira her project, doesn't she? She's mm, she kind does. of um, sets her sights on, yeah, wanting to be friends with her, want to kind of make her better and in the process kind of, um, you know, pump herself up a bit as being really, you know, kind of switched on and and progressive and, you know. And salve some of that shame and guilt that she carries around. Alex is interesting because uh, I can sort of relate to her a little bit in the motherhood kind of sense Mm because she's got two kids. She's got Briar who's this really chatty, out there inquisitive little girl and then she's got her other kid who's about one I think Mm. um and she sort of takes her everywhere with her when she's going to work and stuff she's very portable and kind of quiet (laughs) whereas Briar is not and um yeah you you get the feeling that she's sort of she doesn't know how to deal with Briar she's a little Uh, bit too much for her isn't she yeah she's a bit too much for her she doesn't know how to handle her so she's quite happy to see that Amira has a fantastic relationship with Briar yeah. and, mm. you know, she's quite happy to hand her over to uh, to Amira to, you know, take her out and do things while she's being the social media influencer and trying to mm. write her book and mm. kind of trying to be back in her previous life. Yes. Her social media makes it look like she still lives in New York City, even though she lives in Philadelphia and has done for a little while now. Mm. Yeah, she's all about the look, isn't she? She's all about Mm. impressions, Mm. um, Alex, and she's quite willing to, as we see later in the story, she's quite willing to manipulate things Mm. in order to have the story appear the way she wants it to go. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, we can see Amira doesn't have those same preoccupations at all. She's struggling a lot more than Alex is. Alex's not struggling financially at all. She's looking at her and her friend friendships and she's seeing the disparity between her and her friends as her friends start to, their careers start to take off and they can afford holidays and they've got health insurance and they're the things that are preoccupying Amira. She would like more out of her job from Alex. She loves her job and like you said, she loves being with Briar, but she does have this feeling that her life isn't going the way it should. She's 25 turning 26. So she's kind of getting to the age where she's thinking, what am I doing with my life? I don't actually have a real job and I'm about to, yeah, lose um, the benefits from my parents' health insurance. You know, I got to get my act together. So yeah, that that's really, um, 
yeah, occupying a large amount of her time. And Alex is very much in the background for her. She's just a mom and, you know, she's babysitting. Yeah, and her employer. Yeah, and she's she babysits for her. She loves her child, but she's she's not trying to um yeah, yeah. have any other kind of That's relationship right. with yeah. Alex whereas Alex employer. would really yeah. like to draw a mirror in like she's part of the family. Um you know, like she's got this African American babysitter which is, you know, makes her kind of progressive, but she's yeah, she really mm. doesn't know a mirror. She doesn't she doesn't know it. Like at one stage later in the book, um, she said uh, Amira, you know, talks about her work with the Green Party and Alex had no idea that that was her other job. Like that's what she does when she's not babysitting. Yes, because she's always looking for those signs. So she's looking on, always looking up the internet. She's always Googling her name or looking on Instagram to see if she's finally got an account. But she never actually asked Amira direct questions about anything unless they are to do with herself unless she's discovering something that Amira thinks about Alex Mm. otherwise she's not really that interested yeah so interesting dynamic between the two women just at totally different times of their lives and um, see things very differently I'm just going to read a passage here that sort of exemplifies the way that Alex sees Amira and the way that she's always trying to view the world through Amira's eyes. In the beginning, Alex would search Amira's name on the internet and Instagram to see if she'd finally gotten an account. She'd convinced herself that this was a safety precaution concerning her children. But now Alex had taken to looking at her own Instagram account while imagining she was Amira and viewing it with fresh eyes. She'd slowly scroll through her own feed and guess which pictures Amira would click on. Amira never hinted that she felt this way, because why would she? But Alex often felt that Amira saw her as a textbook rich white person, much in the same way that Alex saw many of the annoying Upper East Side mums that she and her girlfriends had always tried to avoid. If Amira would only take a deeper look, if she gave Alex a chance, Alex knew that she would begin to think otherwise. Mm. Yeah, that's very telling, Mm. isn't it? Because you could also flip that around for Alex and say if Alex would only take a deeper look at Amira she would actually get to know her and what her concerns are rather than you know just the frivolous things of has she got an Instagram account and you know who's she hanging out with and you know what music does she listen to and that kind of thing. Yeah so let's talk about Kelly. So he's um the guy who filmed uh, the incident in the supermarket with uh, Amira and the security guard. And then um, later on, Amira uh, meets up with him just randomly. Um, and, and he's actually sent the video to her, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's sent her a copy of the video. He has. He's yeah, emailed and said it that he her, will delete yeah. it, but she's got the copy and she can do with it what she wants. So later on, she actually meets up with him and actually forms a relationship with him. He, he becomes her boyfriend. Mm. Uh, at the same time or in other chapters we're also finding out that Kelly has a history with Alex Um, and Alex is the guy who she credits with um, ruining her um, her last year of high school Yes, yes so then you've got a kind of juicy situation in the book where you end up so Amira's is going out with Kelly she doesn't know that Kelly um, has a history, a past history with Alex from back at high school. Mm. So you get this situation at Thanksgiving dinner 
um, when Alex has invited Amira over and a few of her friends, uh, like about 12 people, but they're having a catered party with waiters. So, you know, you get the idea mm. of <laughs> yeah, what kind of privilege and money is, is going on, on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, of course, Amira turns up at the Thanksgiving dinner with Kelly. Yeah, Alex is naturally freaked out to see this guy from her past, this guy that she's always denigrated and, you know, said ruined her her graduating year of high school. And I guess he's a bit surprised too because he didn't realise that Amira's employer was his ex-girlfriend. Mm. No, that's right. No, he didn't. So he I remember when I was all. reading the book, I was thinking, yeah. oh, this is going to be great because it's um, it's a oh, really no. good setup yeah. of, of them coming together at this party. Alex had even dreamed Kelly into her future. She hadn't exactly finished her first book, but maybe she'd write another, and this time it'd be a book for young girls. A 46-year-old, hopefully pudgy or balding, Kelly would stand behind his daughter in line at the Barnes and Noble on 86th Street. They'd drive all the way from Allentown and stay in a hotel by the train in Astoria. Alex would open her book and sign the title page for the inspired tween. She'd look up at Kelly, smile and say, did you know that I knew your dad? <laughs> yeah. Just, I just love it. I just love her her incredible daydreaming about this man that she's also said yeah has ruined her life but she's completely obsessed with him as well so she's got these two people Amira and Kelly who she's completely Mm. consumed by from different parts of her life and now they've come together and they've landed on her doorstep at Thanksgiving her moment where she wanted to shine and show Amira that she was progressive she has a black friend and she's but in fact she you know, she's not nearly as, as wealthy as her friends. So in that way, she's quite down to earth. I just love seeing all these little insights into her uh, way of thinking via her daydreams. Once they do meet, once they become aware of each other's connections, um, it's interesting mm. that kind of Amira ends up in the middle of it because Alex is saying to her, look, you don't want to be in a relationship with Kelly, you know, He's not a good guy. Mm. And Kelly's saying to Amira, you don't want to be working for Alex. You don't want anything to do with her. You know, she's manipulative and she's 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 weird and, you know, just get out of there. So Amira's then really got to make her own decision, um, make her own path um, and decide what's best for for her between these two people who are kind of vying for her her attention do we want to talk about the title at all yeah we can yeah let's do that yeah what do you think of the title such a fun age when I originally read the book I thought about Amira's age and how someone of her age is often told this is such a wonderful time of your life. It's so exciting. You're, you know, you're sort of open and free to have all this fun, but also you're discovering yourself and you're coming to some conclusions mm. and things like that. And I thought that was interesting because that's true. That can be true, but it can also be very difficult. And I think that that's probably a bit of a mm. play on that, that, you know, it's incredibly hard to work out what it is that you want to do. And as you st- if you start to feel like you're being left behind, or you're in a job that you consider to be dead end, then that 
is made even harder. So it's actually not completely an easy time of a person's life. The other thing was that I did actually hear the other day that the author was thinking about the title in terms of also parents and how they talk about mm. their children. So. Yeah. And how they talk about each other's children. Oh, that's such a fun age. Mm. Oh, two and three. What a great age. And how, you know, that doesn't really fit in with Alex's yeah. vision of motherhood. Yeah, exactly. She, that was the one yeah. that came to mind for me first because of Alex's relationship, oh. awkward relationship with Briar. Um, you know, and yeah, people mm. do say that um, when kids are young, oh, such a great age. Oh, you have so much fun with them. You know, aren't yeah. they great? And that's not really Alex's experience at the moment. She's she's in kind of an awkward spot yeah. with Briar, where uh, she sees her as a bit of a, a a bit of a problem, really, like a, someone that she doesn't really know how to handle. She doesn't really know how to handle chatty, inquisitive, twenty four seven. You know, always on Briar. Um, so yeah, yeah, I kind of thought that. And the other thing I was thinking was about mm. sort of the age we live in generally, you know, in, mm. in a sarcastic mm. kind of tone, I thought that, um, Reed was kind of saying, you know, such a fun age we live in where there's still all this, you know, casual racism and inequality, but Hey, isn't it great? All these intersectional problems too. That's right. Yeah. Yep. She's a young woman. She's a young black woman all these things that intersect for her that actually make things not quite as much fun as perhaps they could be. Yeah, so I really enjoyed reading Such a Fun Age. It's a really interesting, witty, contemporary look at privilege and everyday racism and biases. Um, It's got a lot of humour in it. I love the satirical digs that um, she's put in throughout the book. And, um, yeah, I'd really recommend... um, you have a read of it. I got completely obsessed with it and I was reading it in the (laughs) middle of the night. I had it um, as an e-book and I was waking up at, you know, two, three in the morning and just reading it for a couple of hours in the middle of the night. I think I read it in about three days. It was just, I just loved it. And the same thing, I loved all those satirical moments that that she's having digs at everybody and allowing you to laugh at everybody. And I just think it's, yeah, I thought it was wonderful and I'd recommend it to anybody. Yeah, sign of a good book if you're reading it at 2am. Absolutely. Next up, Lee interviews Gemma about her role in the library. Hey everyone, my name is Lee and today I'm here having a chat with Gemma from the Library Technical Services team about her role and what happens behind the scenes at the library. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Gemma. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Well, I might get you to introduce yourself first and um, your role at the library. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from Manchester and I actually came to Australia with my family on a holiday and decided at the time that this is where I wanted to live. Um, I've always loved traveling and really enjoyed the laid back lifestyle here and all the, you know, the koalas, the wombats and all the uh, wildlife that you have. Have to say, not so much the insects and the sharks <laughs> and the spiders. Yeah. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I came to working in libraries a little bit later in my career. I studied English literature in England, and then I came to Melbourne and I studied creative writing. Um, I worked in a few different industries and I travelled around a bit. 
And then I finally decided to study a graduate diploma in library studies online. Um, and at the time I was studying this, I was working full time in a law library in Canberra. Um, mm. I then managed to get a job um, in Melbourne. Um, and I've been working for the city of Greater Dandenong for the past seven years. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I work as a library technician in technical services. Um, this is with three other library technicians and three specialist librarians. So we all report to the library resource collections coordinator. Um, my role is mostly based back of house. I do a weekly morning desk shift on the library floor. So that's a good time for me to you know, connect a bit more to patrons and it's a good, um, good variety with the role as well. Hmm. And are you able to explain to our listeners what a library technician does? Yeah, sure. So a library technician tends to focus more on the technical aspects of a library service. So this might involve working on the catalogue, such as ordering collection materials, um, adding serials, could be interlibrary loans and um, a bit of cataloguing as well. And specifically your your title, which is acquisitions and cataloging, um, what yeah. does that what, what does that entail? Yeah, sure. So acquisitions involves um, ordering new items for the collection. So these could be books and audiovisual materials, and these tend to be requested by patrons, staff, as well as my manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, one of the other main parts of my role is managing invoices for the new items. So. As you can imagine, I get a lot of these coming in from our library suppliers, um, so I'm constantly communicating with them. I also Mm. work quite closely um, with the finance team in council as well. And um, the other main aspect of my role is cataloging. So this involves adding brief records to the catalogue for new items. So these might be in English and other languages as well. And then I place holds for patrons. Mm. Great. And I was wondering um, if you could talk about how the library goes about choosing what materials to purchase and what kind of factors go into that that decision making yeah sure so we we do follow library collection guidelines as well as the advice of our collections manager and um, the library's main purpose is to develop a collection for greater dandenong's diverse community and we Mm. provide access to the library resources such as books audio visual and electronic resources to support the needs of this community and we choose collection materials to meet these patron demands and ensure that we have current um, classic and popular materials. And with the decision making, this can be affected by trends, um, the format of the items, price and also availability from our suppliers. And I'd love to talk about the suggest the title feature because I found often while working at the library, it was it was really so underutilized. So Can you explain what Suggest a Title is? Yeah, sure. So Suggest a Title is a really great feature that we have on the library website and we do encourage all patrons to use this because it means that they can send any request through for any item they want to borrow, um, which could be in any format and any language other than English. And once a request is received, what is the process from that? Yeah, so once a request is received, um, I will assess this again according to the library collection guidelines. And if the item is suitable um, to purchase and available, I'll order it through the supplier and then I'll add a record to the catalogue and a hold for the patron. If the item is not suitable, then it may be referred to the interlibrary loan officer. And I will keep the patron updated um, of their request throughout um, the process as well, just to let them know what's happening. 
you mentioned before um, languages other than English. What languages does the library offer materials in? Yeah, sure. So um, since over 50% of our residents speak another language other than English, we offer over 18 languages as part of the Community Languages Collection. So these include Vietnamese, Chinese, Persian, Sinhalese, Khmer, and many more. And this collection also includes books, DVDs, magazines, and local newspapers. Hmm. We do also sometimes get donations from patrons, which is always something we appreciate very much. Um, But obviously there are some decisions to be made about whether we can accept those donations to be catalogued and then processed and eventually put on our shelves. What do you and your team look for when it comes to accepting donations? Yeah, sure. So we follow um, library donation guidelines and we make sure we acknowledge all donations from patrons and let them know the outcome. And Mm. items can also be returned to the patrons if they're not suitable for the library. And when it comes to making decisions, the relevant portfolio librarians or our collections manager um, will check the donations, first of all, to assess if the materials are in good condition and as well if the content is relevant and it will be of interest to the community. Mm. We've spent some time talking about physical collections, but I want to ask you about some of the digital collections that the library has to offer. Can you talk about maybe some of your favourite apps and resources that, uh, that we offer online? Yeah, the library has a really good range of online resources which can be accessed via the library website. So some of the resources I've discovered, especially um, during the lockdown period, um, is the BorrowBox app. So I've been really enjoying listening to a range of um, e-audio titles through this app. Um, I'm currently enjoying um, listening to Bill Bryson's travel memoirs. It's really funny. Mm. So that's good. <laughs> and I also use Canopy, which is really good for accessing independent films, as well as a large range of international films. I've also recently discovered the Libraries Victoria app, which I use for checking my account and the status of holds. And the ISBN scanner is really useful. So if you see a book you like, then you can use it to scan the ISBN and it immediately checks our collection to see if we have a copy. And you can also keep up to date with any library COVID updates as well as what's on in the library. Yeah, it's a really, really cool feature, that one. Just be out of like, be at a bookshop and you think, oh, I wonder if my library has it. Yeah, scan (laughs) it. And lastly, I want to ask, what do you enjoy most about your job? Yeah, well, I think I'm really lucky because I've always loved reading. I've always enjoyed visiting libraries and I've found myself in a job which involves looking at new books every day, helping people um, with books that they want to borrow and, you know, just assisting people with their information needs. I really enjoy um, the diversity and multicultural community in Dandenong. And I think just in general, it's a really great place to work. Um, The library team is really supportive. And we all share our knowledge and I think we all learn something new from each other every day. So it makes it really, yeah, fun to come to work. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast, Gemma. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. And now we have staff members Lauren F and Lauren M with some book reviews. Hi, my name is Lauren and I'm a library service officer at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm here to review a book called They Both Die at the End, 
a young adult novel written by Adam Silvera and published in 2017. They Both Die at the End is the heartwarming yet heartbreaking tale of Mateo and Rufus on their last day to live. The story tells of two young men who, when they find themselves alone in New York City on their death day, use the Last Friends app to meet. As the two get to know each other and form a deep bond, you, as the reader, are rooting for them, despite being told over and over again that they are going to die today. The two spend their day trying to figure out how to live their best lives, supporting each other through difficult situations and encouraging each other to let go and just have fun. Matteo learns to relax under Rufus's free spirit and Rufus softens as he learns what it's like to have someone like Matteo care for him. There are times when they really are just two teenagers falling in love before the book brings you back to reality. They really will die today. A cast of secondary characters reminds us just how much our lives intersect with those around us and shows all sorts of consequences from those connections. Even in these characters, some of whom are dying, some not, author Adam Silvera writes about how varied and important friendship and relationships are, even if we don't realise it until the day we die. I would recommend They Both Die at the End if you love emotional and character-driven stories with just a touch of suspense. You can reserve this book for free to read as an audiobook or a physical copy through our catalogue. Hi, my name is Laura Neff and I'm in Children Youth Services at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm here to review a book called The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune, published in 2020. Set in a world where people and creatures with strange and supernatural powers are well known and regulated, Linus Baker is a caseworker for the department in charge of magical youth. Linus is so perfectly ordinary and has unfailingly followed the rules and regulations for so long that he has chosen to visit the most unusual orphanage under the department's care. Six dangerous creatures live there. That's what the department wants him to see. Except they're children strange children, who could probably kill him with a thought, but still just children, not monsters, not something to hunt down or destroy. They're cared for by Arthur, a man like no one Linus has ever met before. TJ Clune has written a story of found families, justice, love and kindness, even in the face of fear and hate. Linus is an overweight, anti-risk, middle-aged man stuck in a rut, but he's so rich and wonderful as a character that he seems magical in his ordinariness. His love for Arthur and the children grows slowly through the novel, becoming the family none of them have ever had before and didn't realise how much they needed. Plus, there's tree spirits, little girls with beards, the literal antichrist, beautiful gardens and a mystery worth solving. I love this book and look forward to seeing what else Clune has written, both past and in future. If you love fantasy, fairy tales, good guys winning and a whole lot of sweetness, then I'll think you'll enjoy this book as much as I did. You can reserve this book for free to read as a physical copy through the Dandenong Library catalogue. And now Lalitha will tell us about the library's bookmatch service. Hi, my name is Lalitha. I'm an information librarian at the Greater Dandenong Libraries. 
I had like to tell you about our Bookmatch service. Bookmatch is created and a library's reading suggestion service, which connects readers with personalized book suggestions based on their reading interest, taste, literary needs, and desires. Have you run out of ideas for books to read? Don't know which author you should try next? You can fill in our online form and tell us which genres you like and which authors you usually enjoy or don't like. You will receive a custom list of five titles prepared for you by the library's expert readers advisory team within seven working days from your lodgement. Today, I had like to share with you a bookmatch recommendation list we have done for someone who likes thriller, biography, horror, and historical fiction. The first book is The Blackbird Season by Kate Moretti, a thriller novel. In a quiet Pennsylvania town, a thousand dead starlings fall onto a high school baseball field, unleashing a horrifying and unexpected chain of events that will rock the close-knit community. Beloved baseball coach and teacher Nate Winters and his wife Alicia are well-respected throughout town. That is, until one of the many reporters investigating the bizarre bird phenomenon catches Nate embracing a wayward student, Lucia Ham, in front of a sleazy mortal. Lucia soon buys the scandal by claiming that she and Nate are engaged in an affair, throwing the town into an uproar and leaving Alicia to wonder if her husband has a second life and when Lucia suddenly disappears. The police have only one suspect, Nate. Nate's co-worker and sole supporter, Bridget Harris, is determined to prove his innocence. She has Lucia's class journal and knows the key to Nate's exoneration and the truth of Lucia's disappearance lie within the walls of the school and in the pages of that journal. Patrons loves biographies, so my second suggestion is Everywhere I Look by Helen Garner. Spanning 15 years of work, Everywhere I Look is a book full of unexpected moments, sudden shafts of light, flashes of anger, and incidental humor. It takes us from backstage at the ballet to the trial of a woman for the murder of her newborn baby. It moves effortlessly from the significance of moving house to the pleasure of rereading Pride and Prejudice. Everywhere I look includes Garner's famous and controversial essay on the insults of age, her tribute to her mother and extracts from her diaries, which have been part of her working life for as long as she has been a writer. Everywhere I look is filled with the wisdom of life. My third suggestion for this patron is a horror thriller novel, The Fireman by Joe Hill. No one knows exactly when it became or where it originated. A terrifying new plague is spreading like wildfire across the country, striking cities one by one. The doctors call it Draco Incentia Trichophyton. To everyone else, it's a dragon scale. A highly contagious, deadly spore 
that marks its host with beautiful black and gold marks across their bodies before causing them to burst into flames. Millions are infected. Blazes erupt everywhere. There is no antidote. No one is safe. Because Patron loves historical fiction, my fourth suggested book is The Caventon Luck by Barbara Taylor Bradford. From the number one New York Times best-selling author, Barbara Taylor Bradford comes a captivating epic saga of courage and honor following the aristocratic Ingham's and the loyal Swan family who have served them for centuries. It is 1938 in England and Mills and Cecily Ingham have led the family in bringing the Cavendon estate back from the brink of the disaster. But now, with the arrival of World War II, Cavendon Hall will face its biggest challenge yet. It is a challenge that will push the Inghams and Swans to protect each other and the villagers and reveal their true capacity for survival and rebirth. My fifth suggested book is The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. It's a suspense thriller novel. Rachel catches the same commuter train every morning. She knows it will wait at the same signal each time, overlooking a row of back gardens. She's even started to feel like she knows the people who live in one of the houses. Jess and Jason, she calls them. Their life, as she sees it, is perfect. If only Rachel could be that happy. And then she sees something shocking. It's only a minute until the train moves on, but it's enough. Now everything is changed. Now Rachel has a chance to become a part of the lives she's only watched from the far. Now they will see she's much more than just the girl on the train. These are the five personalized titles for the patron who likes thriller, biography, horror and historical fiction. Please tune for more reading recommendations and chatting about books we think you will love. To access the bookmatch service, please visit us www.gretadantinonlibraries.com and fill in the online form. Thank you. And now we're going to circle back to Robin and Mina to tell us a little bit more about what they've been reading. I just read Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, a beautiful literary novel set in 1940s North Carolina. Part coming of age story, part murder mystery. I highly recommend it. I also read Bruni by Heather Rose, a political thriller set in Tasmania in the near future. It covers lots of interesting topics, a great one for book clubs, as it's a good conversation starter. Bruni is part of our always available collection on Overdrive and the Libby app. You won't have to wait to download the ebook or audio as we have multiple copies available. So check it out on the digital library page of our website. Well, one of the things that I read this pandemic was a fantastic dystopian novel about a pandemic and its aftermath, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, which manages to be not too depressing despite the subject matter. I also devoured Box Hill, a story of low self-esteem by Adam Mars Jones, 
The story is about a brutal relationship between two men in 1970s suburban England. It's heartbreaking and sometimes shocking, but the narrator delivers the shocks with humour and I highly recommend it. It's another one I completely couldn't put down. I didn't sleep because of this next one, so if you like YA romance and you haven't yet read Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, all I can say is get to it. It's about a romance between the US President's son and the prince and heir to the British throne. It is hilarious and wonderful. Do yourself a favour. For information about any of the books mentioned in the podcast, please go to our Greater Dandenong Libraries website at www.greaterdandenong.vic.gov.au forward slash libraries and visit the library catalogue and the Find My Next Read page to access the book match request form. This is Robin, and thanks for listening to the Open Book Podcast. Happy reading from the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. See you in the library.